you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 635. Uh, Kyle, do you have anything for the community pages? Uh, I do. Community uh, pages. I've got one in particular that I feel like could not be more relevant to nerd stuff. Uh, it was sent to us by Anne Tana Wardrum, and it's uh, her friend Kevin who runs a website called VintageBowling.net. I am way on board. And he is a photographer and a bowler who is super into photographing vintage bowling alleys around the country to both show the beauty of hand-built bowling alleys and then on top of that support people keeping vintage classic bowling alleys. I am going to tear up at that because that's amazing. you got to see the site. I bought a a vintage bowling scoring table. Oh, really? Yeah, because it just reminds, like, when 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 I grew up, you know, you had, you, it, you had the yeah. scoring table. You had the you had to write it on the scoring table, and if you were bowling league, you had the basically like that kind of like cellophane yeah. thing yep. with the grease pencil, and you always burned your arm writing on the thing because the light under the projection unit got so hot. And so uh, this is uh, it's stories like that that I'm like, oh, that's an old timey thing, yeah, that people now wouldn't understand. Yeah, I, I had not seen non-mechanized bowling scoring until we did that show at the Roosevelt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, my God, there's a guy. And Chalkboard you have to, like, write it down. Yeah. The, the guys used to have to set up the pins. And the score is so hard to keep track of. No. I think so. I'm bad with math. It's No. it's Well, the bowl, bowling is, is very it's very easy. It's just, uh, you I know. I tried it once. I failed miserably. You, you always, your, your score is the number of pins you knock down in each frame. Mm-hmm. And if you get a spare... Uh, then it's ten points plus your next, your first ball on the next frame. See, that can, that's where I like. No, so if you get, get a spare, confused. let's say you have, let's say your score is twelve. Okay. You get a spare in that frame. Okay. All right, and then uh, for my next frame your, plus uh, ten. Yeah. So and then you roll, you knock down six pins, right? So ten plus six, sixteen. So then oh. eighteen would be your score under the spare. So okay. Oh. All right. And then a strike is ten plus your next two balls. Oh Jesus! And if you get a double. <laughs> Then it's 20 plus the first ball of your next, of the third frame. Now I have a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you score turkey, which is of course three strikes in a row, yeah. in olden days, did a man come out and do an animated clip art version of a turkey <laughs> dancing to celebrate your victory? It was live action clip art. Yeah. Oh, so, good. Oh, beautiful. Which meant that it was a generic same version of that guy <laughs> all over the country coming out. I want going, live action clip art to become a thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. 
That's exactly right. That was some any- of the early franchises in America. Anything else in the community? Pages? There's one more I want to throw out that just fascinates me. Community cork. I'm going to call it the Nerdist Community Corkboard. Oh, I love it. That's uh, David Farr sent me a thing. He is from uh, Chicago, and they are working on this project where it's. I guess there's a whole school of magic called Chicago style magic. What? Yeah. And he wrote this long essay that I don't have the time to read, but I, I sure shit read it yesterday on the events page. And it's fascinating how, how Chicago in, like, the 20th century shifted the way the approach to magic in, like, parlor and, and different magic pieces came. And he and a group of other magicians do a show at the Greenhouse th- uh, Center Theater. Uh, or theater center. That's a, a twenty dollars show that that goes through and is trying to push like a, this sort of regional style of magic that developed and give just a really amazing sense of like the historical context of magic in the area. The show is Wednesdays at eight, um, and it's uh, the website is magic cabaret.com And I, if I lived in Chicago, I would be totally going to this. I am utterly fascinated by it. Good. And then I just got this email uh, from a guy named Jesse Edmond, Rochester's longest-running improv comedy troupe, Nuts and Bolts, celebrating 15 years of being at least moderately funny, he says in the email. <laughs> February 21st at 8 p.m. at the Spotlight Theater, uh, which is in the village of Fairport. So do you, you think is they... at NAB Comedy to check that out. I haven't seen it, but... Do you think uh, that as they get older, their nuts start to sag a little? That's going to happen to all of us, <laughs> Kyle. Sorry, you're no, young. No, so they're you going to stay st- tight. I'm putting Botox in them. Oh, why oh you should would... see other fall talks. Oh. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Imagine how bad that would hurt. Oh, yeah. You can't imagine I how can't, bad that would I hurt. I like I think it would. But it would be real bad. <laughs> it would be real, real bad. Uh, and, of course, tickets are available for my upcoming tour dates at funcomfortabletour.com in cities all around the country. Uh, this episode of the podcast is Jeff Bridges. Again, he came back a third time. He loves us. He's the best. He is the best. Person Can we call ever. him Uncle Jeff? What? Can we call him Uncle Jeff? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff uh, Jeff is promoting Seventh Son, which is in theaters now. Uh, which uh, also uh, his sleep tapes, Dreaming with Jeff. Have you listened to that goddamn record yet? It's like it's the amazing. album. It's the most amazing thing. You want to power down for some cool oh, it's sleep? So cool, and then it just gets crazy by the end. And like, he's talking about like, I like the sound the the toilet bowl makes. He's great, and we, ha- you know, like for the third time, I got really nervous. I'm like, I don't know what to talk about with Jeff. We talked to him twice, and I feel like you know he's so cool, and and it, the conversation with that guy just flows because he's so cool and open, and he'll talk about anything. And we ended up meditating with yep. him, which was uh, I wanted to be cynical about, but couldn't mm-hmm. be because it was rad. And so, uh, Jeff Bridges, you're welcome on the podcast every goddamn week if you want to. Nurse Podcast <laughs> number six thirty five. Jeff Bridges returns again. Jeff Bridges. Oh. Now entering nerdist.com. walking a second ago. No, it's all right. I broke it. It's totally broken. That was less than five minutes. Yeah, and I got t- I had a whole tail I had a whole uh, elevator drama too that really stopped me. I could have done it in two. What? <laughs> oh yeah, but I got stuck in the elevator and down to the bottom floor. Uh, anyway. What if an hour later, like, where did Jeff go? And he just well, can't. And then I realized once I got back, I said, wait, where, what floor? <laughs> Trying to every floor, every yeah, room. Oh god. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
Then, it, then you're going to door to door, almost like room yeah, service. Exactly. Oh. Hi, it's Jeff Bridges. What? <laughs> I'm here at your door. So this is the book. This is the fo- yeah. photo book from Seventh Son. Yeah. Don't want to, um, you know, push that on you or anything. No, not at all. Please. And then the only the stipulation I'd like to make, if you use these things, to use it um, to show the photograph uh, at some point, each photo in full frame. Yeah. With this wide lux camera, I take. Yeah. You know, and then if you want to zoom in and pan on it or whatever, you can do that. But it just at some point, show the whole the whole thing. Look at that picture of Kit Harrington. Let's see. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, that's a good picture. These are great. What a fun thing. Do you take roles based on, yeah, I think I could photograph the shit out of that process? <laughs> uh, no, no, I don't know. What do I, what do, I do? It's just, uh, I've been doing it. Um, are we... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in. We're in. No, I've been doing it since Starman. Yeah. Karen Allen had this idea. She saw some of the photographs I was taking, and uh, she said, why don't we put a little book together as a gift for the cast and crew? I said, oh, that's a cool idea. And so we did. And then I've been doing it about every movie since then. I make this book of uh, shots from... Uh, from these, this wide lux camera I have, it's a panning still camera. So okay. the lens itself pans. I first got hip to it uh, in high school when they were taking our uh, class picture. Maybe you had this experience too. And there was a rumor going around that the guy had one of these cameras, a, a, a panning still camera. So the lens pans mm-hmm. very slowly. And if you run real quick, you could be in the picture twice. Oh, that's cool. And it was true. You it, it Actually, you could do that. Do you have to stand there for a minute to, to hold it? Well, it's really – it's an interesting uh, camera because it's quite uh, quite forgiving in that you can um, handhold uh, a shot at a 15th of a second. Okay. Which normally, if you took it with a normal photograph, it'd be kind of blurry. You, you, you know, it's hard to hold that still. But a fifteenth of a second with this panning thing takes about this long. So during that time, I can literally paint with that camera. I can, you know, wherever I hold it still. That's in focus and sharp, and the rest is kind of blurry, and you get interesting effects that way. Do you have a dark room? Do you develop them? I used to when I was a kid, yeah. But this is this is a film camera. You know, nowadays they just stitch it. You know, with uh, you know digital. You Where do know. you take your camera? Oh, they stitch it. But this is film. This, this is, is film. Like old school. Do yeah. you go to like CVS and drop it off and write Jeff Bridges on the thing and no, pick it up? No, Who develops no. Their film? Uh, I, what, what is? <laughs> I want to say photo impact. I'm thinking that's the name of the. I can't remember. I think that's it. Yeah. Boy, the, 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 the smartphones really blew the Fox Photo uh, sh- sheds out oh, of the. Oh man, they even stop. You know, stop making film. You know, stop making. You know, pan. Uh, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, what is it? Pan, what's the name of the cameras that they use? Panavision. Pan, no, Panavision. Those cameras that you know used to make. You know, movies out. You know, with film. Stop making them cameras. Do you ever? Uh, every once in a while, I love to. Do you, I like to go? I don't know why I like this. Maybe it's I'm morbid, but I like to look at the old Victorian death photos. Do you ever look at those the oh. Memento Mori photos? Where they it was it was right around the time when photographs became a thing, and it was sort of a luxury, and people would take pictures of folks who had died immediately, like like right oh. after they died, they would dress them up and take a picture because it was like. They were preserving them. In their minds, they were preserving them. Oh, yeah. And mortality rates were so high that they just – I think they had a slightly relation, different relationship to death. And so they're the creepiest. But because of the, the the photographic process, you had to sit for so long. Sometimes 
the living would hold the dead person up between them. Uh. And if the if the living people moved at all while they were waiting there, they were a little blurry. But the dead people are always crystal clear because they're just they're yeah. just dead. So the live people almost look more ghost-like. Uh, kind of, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 You know, do you know Witkin? You know the photographer Witkin? No. Man, you've got some interesting stuff to uh, in store for you. Witkin, these are amazing photographs. He would do things like cut off two heads, uh-huh. corpses, <laughs> and lock them in a kiss. Oh. And that would be, you know, in the huge, you know, huge pictures of that. Just do bizarre, macabre uh, Framings that could might that might be a good visual for you guys. <laughs> Put some Witkin pictures yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, here's a nice picture of Julian oh, Moore. Why are oh. these dead people kissing? Yeah. Oh no, it's quite <laughs> it's quite remarkable. Do you ever you ever just, have you ever thought about going on just a photo sabbatical? Just like I'm going to take a year and just go take pictures all over the place. <sighs> I never thought of that. Uh, most of my pictures are all at you know when I'm working. You yeah. Because. Just what I seem to do. I'll I'll have some pictures of uh, the family, got a, you know, a series of those. Yeah. But mainly, it's uh, when I'm working. What's the best? What What has been the best environment for you? Like, which film do you feel like this was the most fertile environment for photography? And this this gave me. The- yeah. Well, that, that's probably one of the reasons I do it at work because it's such uh, just light wise, it's such a dynamic uh, place to. Um, to photograph because you've got these master uh, photographers and uh, guys who are lighting these scenes and the ambient light coming off of those, you know, gives you uh, wonderful uh, lighting for my shots. And sometimes I'll, you know, just rip their shot off, you know, just get, you know, <laughs> right, you know, like, like for instance, what was it in Fearless, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, did, um, I'm trying to think, it was a Davio, Alan Davio, I think, uh, was he shoot that? I think, yeah. He would, his lighting would be so, you know, remarkable. And the great thing about the wide lux, or one of the cool things about it, it's a bit how, I, I think it's it's more reflective of how the human eye sees. You know, how like when you're looking at me, we have peripheral vision. Right. So we kind of see stuff off at the side. The normal frame of a photograph says, look at this. You know, this is what you're supposed to look. But if you look, look, look at these, uh, like here, hand me the, hand me the, uh, the picture. So... So here in this book, the cover of this Seventh Son, you've got this, right? Right. And then you've got this. <laughs> you know what I mean? It pulls another, out. Another little story, you know, or something. There's stuff on the side, you know, or you've got, this is a shot of uh, Julianne Moore. That's an amazing picture. Uh, and you've got her, you know, checking herself out in the mirror, doing mirror tricks. And then you've got Kit Harrington and my daughter, Jessie, who is my assistant on the movie, Playing past the pigs over here. Well, you you, well, you're brave to let Kit Harrington near your daughter. Yeah. I mean, that, that guy's, uh, <laughs> they got along quite well. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what do you, do, do, are you sort of irritated by the digital? F- oh, yeah. Those See, are if great I had pictures. my camera, I'd take a picture of you like that. I have a whole series of uh, tragedy and comedy masks, you know, like the actor's mask, but actors doing that. And that's all in one frame. One day I'm going to convince you to go bowling with me, and then you can bring your camera and we'll take pictures. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's gonna one of these days. I feel this is your third time on the podcast. I feel like soon the bowling invitation for reels is, is cool, not going to be is not going to be crazy. All right. That sounds good. Are you irritated by the sort of the digital photography revolution and the fact that you know 
you can use uh, fake filters and fake framing to manipulate mm. rather like I could just take a picture of point the point my phone out the window, oh, yeah. not even look. And then later on go, oh, I'll just crop this this way and put a filter on it. Oh, look, I'm a photographer. Yeah, no, not irritated. I think it's you know pretty great that, you know, uh, you know, all that, um, what do you call it, uh, um, you know, uh, technology. You know, it's, it's got some great things about that. But the Wide Lux uh, has some things that the digital camera can't really do yet. You know, yeah. The fact that it's this actual panning still lens and there's a lot of movement, like what you say with Mm -hmm. the, you know, uh, the blurred image, you know, and so you get with a wide lens. I don't know if you can do this digitally yet, but if I take a picture like of you and there's some movement back here, those guys will be blurred. You'll be sharp. You know, I'm not sure if that digital has that. Probably do. I don't know. What's your favorite picture you've ever taken? I don't have one of those. Really? No. I got some, I got some, some faves, you know, I got a one of my faves is from Lebowski during the dude's dream. Uh-huh. You know the kind of the uh, Busby Berkeley you know yeah. dance number with the girls with the bowling pin hats and stuff. And I thought, oh, this would be a good uh, this would be a good day to invite my family uh, to. This would be fun for them to watch. My girls were all you know quite young, you know, six, seven years old, something like that. And uh, and then I they brought them on board. And then I realized, Jeff, what the hell are you thinking? This is the day where you will be pulled on a skateboard through the legs of all of these women looking up at their <laughs> vaginas. You know, why did I invite my all my girls and my daughters to see this? <laughs> So here I am, and, you know, and I'm, I'm realizing this, and I'm trying to make light of it, kind of. You know, I go up to the head. We call them bowling pin Corins. Is what they're, we referred to them as. And I went to the head Corin, and I said, "Gee, um, you know, this is a wonderful photo opportunity. Do you mind if I snap my my shot with my camera? You know, my wide lux." And she looked at me and she said, "By all means, dude." <laughs> <laughs> so I get on my skateboard on my back, and I'm. Say, well, I gotta look up, man. I look up, and there I see this uh, leotard covered, thank God, vagina. But <laughs> out of the sides of the leotard are huge tufts of pubic hair. And I go, what? And I'm starting to be pulled, and I snap my camera. I go to the next girl, and those tufts are even more ornate and abundant. And the next one even more, and just like, you know, and it goes on and on like that. And what they did is they uh, went to the makeup man and got, uh, you know, a bunch of crepe hair. Oh, that's hilarious. So they pulled one on on the dude, and fortunately my girls and my wife were in on the gag, so that was okay. That's that's but, what a fan. I have a shot. That's one of my favorite shots. You perhaps you could show that. Yes, we can pull that up, right? Absolutely, yeah. we'll put that up there too. Because a lot of these are on your website, right? Some of them are on my website. You might check and see if that one is on my website. But um, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, I spaced out what I was going to say. That's all right. Because your story reminded me of a story that I read on Reddit the other day about. Uh, Tallulah Bankhead, the actress Tallulah Bankhead, she was shooting with, uh, working with Hitchcock, and she notoriously apparently never wore underwear. 
And so there was a scene where she kept having to climb up a ladder and the crew started complaining because she was not wearing underwear underneath and everyone could see everything. <laughs> and so uh, they kept they went to Hitchcock and they're like, you got to you got to tell her to do something about that. And his comment was something along the lines of, I don't know if I should alert a wardrobe or the hairdresser. But I have always... I don't pretend that I really understand photography, but it's definitely – it's an art that I really, uh, really wish that I – I mean because it's so easy to fake, but then really understanding like how to go out and you know like composition and, and natural lighting and I just don't – I don't see it. It's a really a, mirac- a miraculous invention, isn't it, to capture – the lights and shadows of a particular moment, and then that you have that. I mean, that's yeah. such an amazing thing, man. But it is. But it is also. It's so. It's so much how uh, it mirrors. I think how our perspective in certain situations work because we can both look at the same thing, all right, all right. and we're both going to come away with completely different stories. That's true too. That's like very lifelike, and yeah, that's how how we are. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to uh, get you know the last time. You were on. We had an amazing talk about relationships. Yeah. And people who listened were so uh, blown away and I think kind of uh, enriched in a way because you had a lot of good lessons for people in, in relationships. First of all, are you doing anything for Valentine's Day or do you think that's a load of crap? Uh, no, I've got plans. I'm usually pretty bad about it, but I've got some plans. You do have some plans I, yeah, this year? Yeah. yeah okay, yeah. good. Um, these are, uh, I went to Twitter and asked people to, uh, throw some questions at you. Cause I feel like, you know, I dominated so much of the time the last time you were on. So these are just random people on Twitter. The hashtag was dude cues. Uh, and here we go. This is, uh, Jacob Belcher wanted to know, walk us through a typical day from morning until night. Hmm. Well, I can give you, um, a typical um, recent recent days, okay, okay, in promoting stuff, you know, <laughs> okay, because that seems to be one of the one of the aspects of my life is, uh, yeah, being a salesman. It's kind of what I'm doing here now. In I guess in a way, yeah. You know when you go I mean? through the press part, you're yeah, this is like the barker of the carousel, you know, yeah. of the uh, entertainment business, and it can be, uh, you know. Uh, uh, kind of draining and uh, uh, it's tough. I mean, you've been to those things where they put you in a room, you know, and you got 60 to 70 five minute interviews. You've done those, haven't you? Yes. You know, you know, yes. and it's bizarre. Uh, and I'll often, uh, you know, with my publicist, Gene Severs, will, you know, there's a kind of a game that a lot of, a lot of folks play, which she will have to, she will give me a word that I must insert in the interview somewhere. And the more uh, absurd the word, the better, you know, like snorkel. Right. You know, asparagus. You know. And we'll have a contest, you know. And then she sometimes give me, you know, uh, time within a certain time frame, you have to say that word. But finally, towards the end of the day, I'll just, at the beginning of the interview, I'll say, Snorkel. <laughs> just you know, just, just get that out of the way. Anyway. <laughs> but, uh, but the days can be kind of fun, too. Uh, this last one, I got to do it with my uh, buddy and fellow actor, uh, Julianne Moore, who's yeah. in Seventh Son. Mm-hmm. And we're you know dear friends, and she was Maude and Big Lebowski. We had a lot of stuff to kick, and we approached the work in a very similar way. And that was a lot of fun, just kind of riffing off each other and that kind of thing. 
But those days recently was just doing a series of those, you know, from, you know, seven o'clock in the morning till, you know, six o'clock at night doing these things. And they're kind of uh, acting exercises in a way because uh, it's, you know, the assi- they ask you the same questions, you know, and you got to, you know, like when you're doing a, a different takes of different scenes, you know, make it fresh every time it's <laughs> happening for the first time, all those kinds of things. So you try to have fun with it. So you do that and then, you know, then just, you know, falling asleep, you know, getting ready for the next day. You know, so we had a few series of that. And then there's a lot of music involved. Uh, just did uh, Jimmy Kimmel. I'm going to do Conan tonight, probably do some tunes on that. Nice. That's kind of fun. Been, uh, I got to do that with uh, my group, The Abiders, yep. and, and uh, push our album, uh, a live album that we put out this uh, last summer called Live, Jeff Bridges and The Abiders. It's available on iTunes. iTunes. Check it out. Pick it up yeah. right now. Yeah. Don't stop this podcast to pick it up. Yeah. But as soon as this yeah. podcast yeah. is done, go pick it up. Write it down. Write it down. Yeah. So that's pretty much a day. When you're doing when you're doing press junkets and you have to keep everyone fresh, like every, every the same five questions mm-hmm. fresh, do you find yourself <laughs> like uh, pausing in the same places each time, go, oh, thoughtful pause, even though you know exactly <laughs> what the answer is. Yeah, so what was it like to work with this director? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, like... Yeah. <laughs> I have done that. <laughs> it's called bad acting. <laughs> well, you, you can get into these places where you're, you're, the front of your head is on autopilot and the back of your head is like... I got to pack later. Yeah. I got to travel oh, tomorrow. Well, it's I gotta, tough. You know, yeah, like separating into two distinct uh, directives. All right, this is a good. Have one. you ever been on the other side of that? You mean being interviewed? Yeah, yeah interviewed. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah intensively, yeah. you where there's a bunch of them in a row yeah. like that. Yeah, it's I've I've done junkets a bunch, and then for for um, for TV shows, and then. The, the the draining ones are like those morning radio tours where you oh, you know man. you call in you call a number and then that guy connects you every ten minutes to a different radio station for like three hours straight yeah and then you talk to like thirty morning radio shows yeah that's tough man it is because it's like being it's like being dropped into a circus every ten minutes and you don't know what the fuck like people are just saying shit at you and you don't know what their dynamic is yeah. and you're just trying to stay awake because yeah. it's 3 a.m. because you're on the West Coast. And, so bizarre, uh, yeah. Yeah, I know. And it is the same the yeah. over yeah, and over, over again. Over, yeah, yeah. But it's part of the, it's part of the it gig. Is. Uh, this is from Jesse Wilkerson. Your Rooster Cogburn from True Grit is so much different than the original. How did you build that character? Uh, well, I start the way I start all, all the guys I play. Um, I look inside myself, think of different aspects of myself that might link up with the character. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, which, which aspects of myself I might magnetize to, you know, you know, that are maybe a little bolder in the character than in myself. And then certain aspects of myself that aren't in the character, kick those to the side, you know? And then, um, and then I find when I'm in preparation for a role, I'm uh, quite sponge-like, you know, in, in just looking at the world and, you know, uh, you know, I'll say, oh, look how that guy's sitting, you know, look where he's, how he's placed his hand, you know, those kinds of little details like that. And I'll jot that down on my script, you know, take a lot of notes and stuff and uh, start to work that way. 
And then one of the cool things about making movies is you're working with all of these masters in their art form, you know, like the in Seventh Son, uh, we worked with uh, Jacqueline West in our costumes, you know. So early on in the uh, in making movies, you meet with a costume designer because it takes you quite early in the process because she's got to make all the clothes and it takes sure. time, right? So you meet with this, you know, I met with Jackie and she had spent all of this time researching the time period, you know, who my character might have been, you know, so to get her perspective gets my mind thinking and you start to, you know, jam on the character in that respect. And then Dante Ferretti, who makes all the sets, says, this is where your character lives. You go, <laughs> oh, God, I didn't think about that. And look how he dresses the set. And that starts to inform your character. And then the director, of course, in this case, uh, Sergei Bordov, this uh, Russian guy who was I just really enjoyed working with, he has a you know a bunch of ideas, and so I bring my ideas to him, and I uh, I believe in really empowering the director to have power over me, you know, because I know my what I'm thinking, but ultimately, hopefully, and it's not always the case, and in this case, uh, you know. In this case of this movie, I don't know. I, uh, you know, I, why did I bring this subject up? No, it's fine. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. But I mean, I, I, now, I'm, now I'm thinking about you know Sergey and the, and all the different people involved. But to varying degrees in movies, the director's vision is respected. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. So right. Right. Sometimes, like I remember a movie I did. Um, called uh, A Million Ways to Die, you know, Hal Ashby. You know mm -hmm. who Hal Ashby is? Yes. You know, a master director, Harold Ahmad, coming home, being there. You right. Know. But his uh, – I'm rambling, but hopefully I'll get back to it. No, 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 it's fine. His, uh, his process, being an editor, that's where he came from. He was uh, – he edited the Thomas Crown Affair, Norman Jewison's editor. He won the Academy Award for um, – for Thomas Crown Affair, the original one was Steve McQueen. He, uh, the script was just a, a, an outline, just kind of notes. And he believed intensely in improvisation. So he would cast you know, his actors and then let the actors riff, you know, and just it was all, a lot of improvisation, which drove the financiers crazy because this is not what you said you'd do, you know, <laughs> but you got to look what's coming out of his oven, right? You got to look what, what the movies that he's made. Yeah. But these guys had no respect for Hal. They ended up firing him, didn't, didn't let him edit his movie, you know, that, you know, and they kind of cut it across the grain. And that was the most, one, one of the most painful experiences in making a movie. Bo, my brother did his first movie. I did his last movie. Oh, wow. But, uh, but my point is, I what I like to do is empower the director to have power over me to uh, help me transcend my own um, visions of the character. So I'm not just playing myself, you know. Right. I, you know, so I say, well, what do you think? You know, you think this is right? And uh, normally I, uh, I'll go with, you know, in incorporate his vision because he's the guy who's going to cut up my painting and make a collage with it at the end. You know what I mean? And so he knows what he's going to need, you know? Well, that's nice. I mean, that's, that's, that's empowering that guy. I mean, that's empowering a lot of trust in someone because basically it, your face is up on the screen. So it's, 
to trust someone to the extent where you go like, well, even if I don't fully understand what you're saying, like I trust that you have a greater vision yeah. and I'm a piece of that. Yeah, and I try to make that uh, that leap of uh, trust before I engage in the project, you know, try to get that. But but sometimes I must say, there are times when I'll go covert on the whole deal. <laughs> and, you know, you know, you know, because I'm an artist too. I'm getting messages from where these sure. messages come from and I'll uh, I'll give him his thing. But, you know, uh, I'll, uh, I'll ask, you know, can I just do one, you know, my way, just in case you might dig that, you know. Uh, but you've got to let it all go because uh, unless you're, you know, unless you're uh, producing the thing and the definition of producing, you know, changes on, on each assignment. But if you've got, you know, power uh, in the et final edit, um, you know, then you can incorporate some of your... Uh, ideas in a more clear way but often you just have to kind of give it up uh, and, they, and they're gonna you know paste it all together so looping back out. around to rooster cogburn was yeah. that oh oh yeah yeah was that was that more your vision or the director's vision oh well or? you got the coen brothers man the masters <laughs> come on you know give it up man you know just do do with them so i bring all my stuff you know and they encourage they want my stuff. They do. Oh man, yeah. They're what so you got? Specific. Yeah, but they want. They, you know, they. Uh, I remember when they first came to me with that idea. They said, "We're thinking. You know, we want to do uh, uh, True Grid, and yeah. we'd love you to play the John Wayne part." I said, "Why? They, why do you want to do that? <laughs> that's already been a great. You know, that's a classic movie. You know, what are you thinking?" And they said, "Well, have you read the Charles Portis book?" And I said, "No." Then I read the book and I totally understood because it, it read like a you know Coen Brother movie, right? And I said, "Oh yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks for thinking of me, guys. You know this is wonderful." And uh, I you know got into it with the, you know the same process that I was telling you before about how I approached the different parts. Um, yeah, that's basically it. Oh, that's cool. I mean, do you have you ever gotten halfway through a movie and then went, "Ah, oh, shit! I get the character now." Fucking! Oh, I've um, already I've already filmed all this stuff. Oh yeah, most often after at the end. You know. <laughs> but the the ideal what you the ideal thing is when you discover when you make that discovery on film when it's rolling. And you've had that. You've had and a, that happens sometimes, and that's that's really in you know, in the late. Can you think of an example? God, you know, it happens kind of all through them. You know, it's sure. not, you know, at just different time. You go, oh yeah, and they ca and they capture it. That's just great. And then from then on, and then it's not a recreation of that that you figured out in your hotel room preparing for the role, but it's right there. You know. And then are you able to let it go at the end of the process? Like if you go, oh shit, I just figured out this guy, and now we're done, and oh well, I guess you know it'll it'll work out. It'll work out all fine. Yeah, you got to let go finally at the end of all that stuff. Yeah. Um, a shot with, I remember uh, a shot that kind of relates to what we were just talking about in the movie Fearless. Did uh -huh. you ever see that yeah. movie? Peter Weir was a wonderful director to work with in so many, so many ways. I remember uh, him saying to me, you know, talking about being inclusive and, and encouraging your thoughts, you know. He did that all the time, but he remember he said, "Now, Jeff, we're going to be flying this plane together. I'm going to need you, you know, all your stuff, man, you know. And, uh, and, you know, when you get that kind of encouragement from the director, you know, you, you rise to it. Hal was very much that way, same way, too. You know, I would remember I'd ask, uh, well, that's kind of slipped. I'll, 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 I'll uh, keep it tighter to uh, what I was saying about Peter. 
uh, I remember uh, I was playing this uh, architect who uh, who was in this terrible plane crash, and you know, architects are very you know, s- you know straight lines mm-hmm. and so forth. And I had this flash. Often, you know, I like to create little, you know different uh, mediums. You know, I'll play guitar, take photography, you know, ceramics. I love to draw, and these different things. And I remember early in my career, I used to uh, be kind of upset with myself because I'd be in my room there uh, studying for a lot, my lines, you know, in the park. And then I'll say, oh, that would make an interesting song. Yeah, and I'll grab my guitar and I'll find, you know, a half hour later, I'm saying, what are you doing? You've got to see it tomorrow, you know. But then I've come to realize that when you start to shake up your you know, creativity, all of it starts to bubble. So when we're doing Fearless, I find myself uh, with an impulse to go out and buy all this uh, art supplies and paper my room with these uh, large sheets of paper and go at it with water and ink, you know, like as as if I was in in character, doing like an improvisation with myself Mm -hmm. in character of this guy who, who was an architect who was used to very kind of anal, you know, drawing lines and just to kind of let go free. So I just went to town, man. And then the next morning, we had breakfast with Peter. And I went down. I said, look what happened last night. And he goes, oh, man, these are great. These are in the movie, you know. And so he put those in the movie. But that was not the story I wanted to tell. The story I wanted to tell was at the end of Fearless. Do you remember when I eat that strawberry? Mm-hmm. And uh, and there's a big shot of me kind of, you know, all emotion and all the all kind of shit's breaking loose. Do you kind of recall that? Yes, yeah. I, I saw the movie in the theater. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so it's the kind of the – and they had this great uh, – uh, Gork, as I pronounce his name, Gorecki, I think, you know, this, uh, the music, it's the most beautiful uh, score I think I've ever heard in a, a film. It just opens, 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 never resolving, open, open. And uh, the camera's, you know, slowly pulling down into a big close-up, or it might have been the other way, I can't remember. You know, start on a close-up and pull out. And uh, Peter says to me, I'm going to torture you today. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, we're going to do this so many times, more times than I need to do it, more times than you can imagine. you got to trust me. And uh, all those things he said were true. He just went on and on. He wanted to get past any kind of uh, preconceived idea. His preconceived idea and my preconceived idea. He just wanted to you know, just work it like that. And uh, it was it was a wild uh, choice uh, for directors. And some directors, you know, do that. Michael Cimino is another guy. You know, I worked with him uh, on his first movie, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, right? Where Clint Eastwood was producing it, and Clint likes to do, you know, just one or two takes, maybe three, you know. And I was the guy in that movie. I'd go up to Mike and I'd say, God, I got an idea. Can I do one more? He said, well, I'll have to go to the boss. He'd go to the Clinton. Clinton would say, oh, yeah, give the kid a little <laughs> shot. But then a couple of years later, after Michael uh, won the Academy Award for Deer Hunter, you know, he was the Hollywood's darling. Right. And they said, oh, yeah, make whatever you want. What would you like to make, Mr. Cimino? He says, well, I have this epic Western, uh, you know, to make, Heaven's Gate. And... Uh, he would do 60 takes. You know, it was a completely different vibe. It was like, um, we're all costumed up. We'll shoot. But if we don't get it, we'll come back the next day. There was no sense of this is when it, when it counts. And he was looking for that, you know, that 
that uh, thing they call the happy accident. You know, they just that thing that just happens. You know, right. And uh, and that was an interesting way of working. Very um, you know exhausting on some level, but something some magic you know is captured. I think that movie really got a uh, a raw deal when it came out. You know, the critics. There's you know one critic just because Mike didn't want anybody to visit the set, so he created this kind of animosity. You know, from the oh, the okay. suits and also all the critics. You know, because he wanted to just you know be us in the thing doing it. He didn't want to have to explain himself or any of that. And uh, they went and got him, man, the reviews of that thing. You know, I remember one review said, if they shaved Chimino's head, they would find three sixes. <laughs> you know, just attacked him on a spiritual, you know. be a little you know, extreme. You know, but, you know, people read that, and then they see the movie with that filter. You can't see the movie. But that movie is a, a, a classic. I mean, it's an amazing, amazing film. So, so when you're doing uh... – so, you know, to do 60 takes is something where you just get so lost, you probably don't even know what the fuck you're doing yeah. anymore at that point. How much of it, I guess this is a broader question, you know, with acting and photography and music, how much is craft of it and how much is art? Like, where are the two, where do the two meet and is one more important than the other? Hmm. What's the difference between craft and art? Well, how much do you think, like, what do you think the right balance, you know, like, how, how is it important to, because some people are very artistic Maybe they're, you know, they're, they're not as, their craft isn't as strong, but you're drawn to it because you're like, oh, this is such a raw expression of this right. thing. Or someone is so technically proficient in something, maybe sometimes it overshadows uh-huh. like, oh, the art organic side. Yeah. Of it. So like, what do you think the right balance is? Uh, well, I like, what I kind of go for is, um, as an audience and as as a performer, uh, that it, there is apparently no uh, obligation to the audience, and you know, apparently is a really good word <laughs> because it's all making movies. It's illusion, you know. Sure. So it's, there's apparently no you, and you do have an obligation to the audience because that's what we're here for—to tell this story and right. to elicit emotions and stuff out of the audience. But it's not apparent. I, I like the feeling of the audience just being a fly on the wall, happens to see the thing, and that can be um, achieved. Uh, and maybe this is an answer to your question: you know, as craft and and uh, and art, you know, I think there's two kinds of magic. You know, there's magic like uh, Penn and Teller, you know, right. kind of magic, you know, wonderful illusion. You say, how did that happen? You know, in the movies, that would be, uh, uh, you know, makeup or uh, special effects, you mm-hmm. know, these kinds of things. And in that, uh, what gives this um, apparently, uh, no, you know, uh, um, you know, this seamless quality of it, wow, that seems so real, is how... Um, how subtly uh, it's done. You know, you don't want in makeup or directing or any aspects, uh, you know, in, in costuming, any of those, you don't want it to to be, to pop. You know, you don't want it to say, oh, well, that was an interesting directorial choice. You know, oh, <laughs> look how bold those clothes are, you know, or right. wow, that beard, look how long. You know, right. Because that kind of takes you out of the story a little bit, just like right. a blink or, you know, Oh, look how, Oh, he's crying so well, or all that kind of stuff. It makes you jump out. So that part of the magic, the fineness of that and doing the subtlety and that kind of uh, magic and subtlety rarely gets uh, 
noticed because it's done so well. Right. You know, you'll get performances uh, that are just so subtle and so real and and very different from who the actual act, the person who's portraying it is, but they're doing it so finely that it's just, you know, it's, it's miraculous. It's wonderful, but it's, it's manipulating its craft. Then there's another kind of magic that's like alchemy, you know, like really turning, you know, gold, what is it, wine into uh, water into wine, you know, it's lead like, into like gold. Like iron into gold. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's inviting the spirit into you to have its way with you. You know, can you make that happen or does it just happen? Well, you, it's something that you can kind of practice, you know, you can, you know, uh, prayer can do that. You know, uh, you've got all these other creative people around you. There's a you know power in all that creativity. And if you acknowledge what you're up to and let's, let's bring this, in together, you know, you see, um, you know, rock groups, you know, holding hands, you know, before the press, you know, just, <laughs> right. you know let's, let, let's take uh, advantage of this power that we have, you know. Um, one of the th- things uh, that I uh, like to do, and I did on that sleeping tapes, did you Yo, see? No, I've listened to sleeping you know, tapes. You know, oming, you know, for instance. Yes. So, as a matter of fact, I think we're going to do, um, I feel some oming coming on right now. Do you want to, do you want to make yeah. it happen? Yeah, let's, yeah, let's do it all... right now. Let's do okay. it right now. So, yeah, here, so here's, here's how it goes. And then, see, this is, a, well, the reason I bring it up is that this is available to anyone, any, anywhere. Yeah. You know, we, if you've got a bunch of people, you can ohm and there's something that happens when this goes down and, you know, the, the ohm, this, this uh, symbol of the ohm is that, that all does ah, start with ah. Oh, and then people listening and, should do it along. Oh, even, sure, even if they're on public sure. transportation or whatever, we'll That's do this right. together. And then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, uh, it's supposed to be like the sound of the universe, all you know, the whole uh, absolute uh, mm-hmm. sound. So now, here's the here's the kind of one of the challenges is that uh, not to get all synced up because we, you know, we're all just being humans, we all have about the same capacity, you know, relatively sure. you know, our lung capacity. So we want to kind of stagger that. Okay. So the oming continues for quite a while. You know okay. I mean? And we have to commit for, you know, let's do it for, you know, a couple of minutes or something. Let's sure. It's a little time. And, um, ohm time with uh, Jeff Bridges. And, uh, and when you ohm, uh, give it your all, you know, don't, uh, don't hold back or, you know, embarrass, just, Kind of thing, and let the it can be different. You know, sounds may come out of you. Again, this is opening up to this spirit that wants to kind of come through you. you sure, know, you don't have to be, you know, don't be worried about um, you know doing it right or anything like that. But uh, but you are going to grade me afterwards, but, right? Of course. Okay, of good. Course. Okay. But tap into your power that's available to you now. We're going to start with this lady here. What's your name? Let's Ashley. Ashley, because I think I think bookers. it's going to be good and cool. So it's going to go Ashley. Kyle, Katie, and Chris, Chris, me, and then my nephew, Dylan, over here, okay? And then try to do it like, uh, uh, about in the middle of the O sound, mm-hmm. the next guy kicks in. And okay. Then, and then wait till that guy, and then you can kick in. So about when we get to Chris... You're going to be running out of breath, and then you just <laughs> in, inhale again and kick it in again and dig the sound, and then it'll just go like that. We'll see if we can get a, like a circle going. Okay, you ready? I'm, I, I'm, I've never been more ready for anything. Okay, here we okay. go. Katie, yeah. Ashley, Ashley. Make it happen, Ash. Ashley, here we go, Ash. 
I'm going to stop. I'm going to direct, make a direction. We got to get closer. Come here. Okay. <laughs> this is the best thing I've done all year. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. This is the fucking best thing. Yeah, okay. okay. We got to get this in close. But we, I think we even need to get closer. Okay. Like, all right. We got to get like, all right. back, you know, back, all right. back here. Move back yeah. here. Okay, now. Yeah. And, get some, and, get some, and let's get some volume coming, okay? All right. Okay, let me see. Okay. We are violating each other's personal space. And this is so wild. Thinking of your direction was so cool that we know not only are are we doing this, yeah. People should join in. All those people, man, we're connected in this way. Yeah. Yeah, each person can Katie's be Katie's making some adjustments. That's cool. The, each, each person listening will be the seventh person. <laughs> the seventh son. <laughs>
Why don't we get together every... Did you get, together off? Did you get every, off a little bit? That was fucking... Did you get off a little yes, bit? Yes, my molecules were vibrating. And where did that mind go? It's an interesting place. It was finding... It was naturally finding harmony with everyone. Uh-huh. And I wasn't thinking about anything else. <laughs> Highly fascinating. And that's available to us, you know. You you have to come over every every morning. We have to meet <laughs> and do. Uh, and just think if we did it like maybe a, a five minutes more or something. You see, then you get into a, like a little you know different spot. You know, I love. And the, you see how challenging it was to, uh, as far as the breath thing. You know, we yeah. all kind of link up so to keep it staggered like that and how that works. It's something. Still, I'm still working on. So it's your so so your your new podcast is going to be a uh, coming home with uh, Jeff yeah. Bridges home and home on the ring. <laughs> <laughs> it's just 10 minutes of ohms every yeah, morning. Yeah. 10 minutes of different ohms. It'd be interesting to see how people react to that if they played along and they're like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Or like yeah. really kind of went, oh, wow, that was really – because, you know, part of what I start – part of what I think is when you're talking about like people holding hands, people trying to, you know, just like cleanse their mind before they go into something – you're basically, I think, trying to just get your brain out of the way of so the that way. you don't try to control yeah. everything. Yeah. Get out of the way. That's the deal. That's uh, one of the things that I uh, aspire to in any, any of my creative endeavors is to you know, get that thing out of the way and let the thing come through. Because your brain you know? will try to control everything. Yeah. You know, a lot of times for people who have a tough time quitting smoking, they go, I don't know if I could ever quit smoking. And I say – and I did in my 20s. I smoked in my 20s. And I say, well – I think a lot of it has to do with not – I mean obviously there's the nicotine addiction. But when you think about what you're doing, it's focused breathing. Like you're focusing your breathing. That's right. It, it, like it forces you to focus your breathing. So if you – you know, while you're trying to quit smoking, take time to focus your breathing. Maybe do the ohms or maybe just breathe or maybe just – you know, that it just kind of gets all that other shit out of the way and just yeah. simplifies your moment. That's it. I guess. That's it, man. Yeah. Oh, that was so much fun. Good, man. Thank you for allowing that. No, please. I'm honored to have owned with you. Uh, I'll, I'll just throw a couple more questions at you, and then we'll 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 let you go back to your uh, to your your press junket day. This is from uh, Juliet Van. I'm going to say Skoik S C O Y K. Um, what talent have you portrayed on screen that you would like to have had time to master? Oh, p- playing the piano. Oh yeah, fabulous! Yeah, yeah, yeah fabulous, fabulous Baker, Baker boys. boys and uh, um, oh, don't you hate it when you ask your mind for something that just flips you the finger? You know, <laughs> I, I'm trying to think. Dave Grusin, that's the okay. guy who, did, who played all my parts, and we did a. I thought a very a good job of uh, doing a, the craft magic that we were talking about, and how we created that illusion of me playing the piano. Yeah, was that Dave. Uh, Grusin played all those parts and uh, pre-recorded them before we did the show. And then uh, when he was doing that, I asked the director, uh, Steve Clovis, who I think he was like maybe 22 or something when he wrote that, 25 when he directed it. You know, can you imagine? And it's such a fine, uh, mature piece of work. Anyway, I asked Steve, I said, can we get some video cameras on, uh, Dave Grusin went ahead, one on the top, so I could just see where his hands were generally, and then one back to uh, see his body movements. And we recorded that. And then uh, I asked Steve uh, if he could tell me what shots he was going to do 
we're going from my face to my hands or from my hands to my face. And yeah. I say, tell me what bars of music you're going to do those. If we can establish that, then I'll practice those bars because I play piano a little bit, but certainly not like Dave Grusin, you know. Yeah. And uh, I will learn those parts. And then when we shot the scene, we dead, deadened my uh, piano. I had what they call an ear wig, a little yeah. you know, thing in my ear, so I could hear Dave's playback. Yeah. And then I, just like doing a, you know, a voiceover, you know, the singing, like, uh, you know, the, uh, who are the guys that got busted for it, you know? Millie Vanilli? Yeah, Millie Vanilli. Yeah. Thing, Why was that the in the front of my brain? Oh, yeah, though, that's right. That's very good. <laughs> and so I would be playing the actual keys that Dave was playing, but what you heard was Dave. But so the illusion kind of worked cool. And then for the farther away shots, I could refer to the general videos, you know, yeah. the hands. And uh, but uh, during that movie, I got really turned on to Bill Evans. You know, you hip to Bill Evans, yeah. you know, kind of blue. I don't think we got any better jazz album than that. That Miles Davis uh, album, you know, and, and Bill Evans is all over that. And um, Steve Clovis, who was a, a jazz buff, is a jazz buff, uh, said that Bill Evans was really your character's hero. And, he, you know, all the, all the songs that... And the style in which Dave Grusin uh, played is all in that kind of Bill Evans voicings and that and that. So I, I would love to to uh, you know play piano better than I do. Ah, so that kind of makes sense to me. So there, that I think defined the idea of craft and art. They can teach you the craft of how to where your hands go on the keys, but the art is actually the expression of like a master craft of like you master the. There's sort of a line speed beauty. I had a trainer. I had a, I have a, I have this, I've had the same workout trainer for a long time. We used to box, and he would always say, line speed beauty. Learn the line. Figure out what the movements are. Then you can do it fast, and then you're free to, you know, oh, that's beauty. beautiful. Line that's speed the, beauty. Yeah. yeah, oh, that's very line speed line beauty. Speed what beauty. was the line thing? Learn the lines? Line, learn, line learn basically, it's just like learn the technical parts. This is yeah. how you This is how you throw your body to throw your arm. Uh-huh. Speed is like, okay, now, you know, you, now you know it. Now you can do it fast. Yeah. And, then the and then beauty is just letting it go that, and letting it be it, organic. Man. That's very yeah. well put, yeah. Um, la- last question, and I am positive this is a question you've been asked a million times, but not on this podcast, so... So buckle up. Uh, this is from at uh, uh, CPL Fluffy. Um, what was it about that rug that tied the room together so well? Ah. Gee, you know it's Fluffy, is it? Yeah, yeah. Fluffy. CPL Fluffy. What coming to mind, Fluffy? Is uh, I don't know. Okay. I don't know, Fluff. But it sure did. <laughs> maybe that's all. Maybe that's yeah, all the information know. you maybe need. That's it. Maybe that's all the know. information you need. It's a that... mystery, you know. <laughs> that's between you and uh, not CPL Fluffy. Let's see if there's a better question to end on. I've got something we can end on. What do you want to end on? Well, did you see this? My uh, Super Bowl uh, commercial. Yeah, for the for the yeah, tapes. Yeah, yeah. there were sleep, sleep tapes, and I had a wonderful time making those sleep tapes, working with the Squarespace. Uh, Folks, you know, it was an advertisement for them, and their basic thought was to put out the message that no idea is too wild or crazy not to make a you know a beautiful uh, website out of it. Yes, kind of specialize in that. That was their idea, and then they got these guys, uh, Wyden Kennedy, this advertising uh, uh, company, to be involved, and they came up with all these absurd ideas and approached me 
to say, will you be interested in, in doing one of these things? And I said, well, what do you mean? He says, yeah, you, but we want you to run with it. You know, do it however you want to do it. So I said, oh, shit, this is wonderful. I'll get my buddy, uh, Kefis Chancia, who uh, worked with T-Bone Burnett uh, in creating that score for uh, True Detective. Did mm -hmm. you see that? You know, yeah, that ambient is so yeah. beautiful. Fantastic. And we worked on an album with T-Bone uh, that T-Bone produced of mine a few years ago. So I said, I could get that guy. And then I'll get my old buddy, Lou Beach, who is an incredible um, uh, collage artist. He designed the cover of that album. Mm -hmm. And also, he's a great writer. And so he wrote the four very short stories. He's a master at just a paragraph that gives kind of like a whole world in one paragraph. And so I said, I'll get my playmates and we'll just jam and have fun. So we did that. And I got all my new friends at Squarespace and Wyden Kennedy. And we just cooked, man, for, you know, a couple. I was hired for two days. But I know, you know, come on, guys, we can't do this in two days. So it was just spread out over I don't know how much time. But the clincher and the most important thing about the whole deal, which came from Squarespace and, and Wyden Kennedy, was that all the sales from the downloads and from the albums and the box sets and all these things that are available, all of those proceeds will go to Share Our Strengths, No Kid Hungry. Yeah, I saw that on the website. I saw yeah, that on which the, is on all about ending childhood hunger and bringing mm -hmm. attention to this enormous problem that we have in America. I, um, I just... Uh, read this report and it was weird and it's kind of it's not a, a, a liberal or a conservative report uh, i think i saw it on fox uh was reporting this that um uh the southern education foundation did this a consensus of uh kids going to our public schools and that 51 percent the majority of kids going to our public schools are from low-income families these are all kids who qualify for free school breakfast. Mm -hmm. And only half of those kids are getting them. And the reason they're not getting them is because the free breakfast that they uh, is available to them are available if they come a half hour early and eat in the cafeteria before school starts. Oh. And so a lot of these kids, half of them can't get to school that half hour early to eat in the cafeteria or... They uh, they don't want to have that stigma of being oh I'm the yeah I'm the oh, poor right. kid who's got to go and right. eat of thing. course so they just don't go so we've got so many kids uh, showing up to school too hungry to learn I mean you know you're, you're, you you need a certain amount of calories to get your brain of cooking course. you know so uh, this whole project of the sleeping tapes is all about bringing attention to that and raising money for this you know this. Uh, this wonderful organization, Share Our Strength, that's doing something about it. And what they're doing is working with school districts and governors and mayors and just citizens to uh, move breakfast from the cafeteria a half hour before school to breakfast after the bell, after school starts. So all these kids are in the room together and they're all guaranteed to have a breakfast, uh, or is, it's available to them. They don't have to. Is eat it a bureaucratic issue? Like someone no. has to vote? Like, no, no. And here's the deal. This is what's so cool. It's not a matter of the feds creating a new law. There is a. Uh, this is already in place. The uh, federal government gives over a billion dollars to this concept, mm -hmm. uh, and it, and a lot of uh, states are uh, implementing it, uh, both um, 
you know, again, uh, conservative and liberal, the band, you know, the biters, we've been touring around uh, the country. We just uh, worked uh, with uh, Governor Sandoval in Nevada, who is uh, a Republican, and he's, you know, supporting supporting this this issue, making his state a no-kid-hungry state. Um, we've got uh, Governor uh, Bullock up in uh, Montana, you know, in a state where I, I love. He's a Democrat. He's, you know, working on it in his state. And uh, But a lot of governors aren't aware of this problem and that this federal money is available to them. But they need, they need these programs in place. If they're not in place, you've got the standard, uh, you know, cafeteria deal going on. That's awesome because the tapes are amazing. So the fact to know that you did those tapes, that, which by themselves are great, that you do you did that so that kids can eat, so that they oh, can learn. Yeah. That's the best. You're the best person I've ever yeah. met, Jeff. We home today. You're feeding kids. Come on, man. And Seventh Son opens tomorrow. Well, actually, it. Oh, I'm sorry. It's already out. It's already out. Yeah, this this go up in a couple of days. Seventh Son cool. is already out. Uh, people should go see it and continue to follow you, follow your photography, your music, the live album from the Abiders, and and everything that you do. And you honestly, you can fucking come back whenever you want. You are welcome yeah, on this podcast. Right. You okay. said, Chris, I really feel like just for a period of time, I'll come on every Friday, own with some people, <laughs> talk about some shit, shoot the shit, talk about photography. You could drop in. We could be in the middle of another podcast. You go, hey, it's me, Jeff. And then I'll go, hey, sit down. Like, you're 100, uh, 100% you're thanks welcome. Thanks for the invite, Chris. I love that. We always have It's always good, good to see you, man. Always Thank you time. so much. Right. And uh, to everyone, I say, oh, enjoy your burrito. Perfect. Uh, cool, man. Good session. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop Popcorn. Imagine this. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels, a symphony of just three simple ingredients. Popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist... Dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now.